Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and god of bad home perms, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and very needy little bloodsucker, Noella Croix. And we're here today to talk about Intervention, the 18th episode of season five. Intervention aired on April 24th, 2001 and was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Michael Gershman. Spoilers abound here on Still Pretty because that makes the discussion so much more fun, especially in these end of the season episodes. Episodes where the foreshadowing gets really heavy handed. <laughs> Death is Buffy's gift, y'all. I mean, come on. <laughs> Vampires of the world, beware. All right, let's go on patrol. In intervention, Buffy worries about her ability to love, so Giles suggests she go on a quest in the desert to get answers. Meanwhile, Spike goes to Warren's to pick up his order, a fresh out of the box Buffy bot. As Warren wisely rushes to get the hell out of Dodge, Spike isn't quite sure he likes the final result. She looks a little shiny to me. You know, a touch of plasticine. Spike? Oh, Spike. Ah! She'll do. At Glory's mansion, she frets that she's losing control of Ben. He's getting stronger. They have to find the key now, and she sends her minions to spy on the Slayer and find out who is new in her life, who is precious. While the real Buffy goes into the desert with Giles to get answers about her life as a Slayer, Spike and the Buffy bot play sex games. Dawn goes to stay at Xander's with Tara babysitting while Xander and Anya go on patrol. Willow attends a late night class and Glory's minions watch over them all. While Spike sleeps, the Buffy bot goes out on patrol. She bumps into Xander and Anya, who are out covering the real Buffy's shift. Buffy's a little weird, but then Spike shows up and says the place is crawling with vampires trying to get the Buffy bot out of there. But it turns out the place is crawling with vampires, ones the minions sent to see who Buffy protects. Of course, the Buffy bot protects Spike, after the fight, Spike shoes Xander and Anya away, but when Xander goes back to ask Buffy a question, he sees the Buffy bot straddling Spike as they have sex in the graveyard. Oh, Spike, you're the big bad. You're the big bad. Xander and Anya return to their apartment and report back to Tara and Willow what they saw. Everyone decides they need to find Buffy and talk to her. At Spike's crypt, there's a noise at the door. He sends the Buffy bot below to hide and Xander walks in. He confronts Spike about having sex with Buffy, but then a bunch of Glory's minions break in and take Spike away. Careful with him. She will want the key intact. Key? Who's a key? I'm not the- The Buffy bot comes out of the crypt and can't find Spike, so she starts to look for him. She goes to Xander's and finds Willow there and wants to know where Spike is. Willow tries to talk to her about Spike, but the Buffy bot is not ashamed. I had sex with Spike. Xander comes back to the apartment and interrupts their talk, reporting that Glory's minions came in and took Spike. The Buffy bot wants to save him and says she needs weapons, so they go back to her house to get them. Meanwhile, out in the desert... Death is your gift. Glory tells her minions that a vampire can't be the key because it's impure. But it sure might be able to tell her where her key is if enough torture is applied. She starts to throw Spike around the place, literally. 
Back at Buffy's house, Anya tells the Buffy bot to go get changed into something more fighty, and she goes upstairs. Then the real Buffy comes home, and we play a short round of who's on first before Buffy bot returns downstairs, and Buffy is offended that they couldn't tell she's one of Warren's girlfriend bots. But then... People, friends of mine, you're forgetting the most important thing. Glory has Spike, and she's going to harm him. Glory has Spike? Certain that Spike will tell Glory that Dawn is the key, everyone rushes out to Glory's mansion. Inside, Spike is beat all to hell. He manages to get Glory to hit him so hard she pulls the chains out of the wall and he throws himself into the elevator shaft. In the lobby, I guess? Do mansions have lobbies? Anyway, in the lobby, the minions fight as the Buffy bot takes a fatal hit and sparks to the ground. They beat off the minions, grab Spike, and run. Back at the magic box, Willow works on the Buffy bot while they try to figure out how to find out what, if anything, Spike told Glory. God, I feel kind of bad for the guy. Gets all whooped and his best toy gets taken away. Xander, please don't be suggesting what I'd have to kill you for suggesting. No, no, travesty completely on board. It's just, the guy was so thrashed. The Buffy bot busts into Spike's crib and finds him bruised and battered. She talks to him and he says that Glory beat him to find out about the key. Buffy bot rushes toward the door saying she'll tell Glory who the key is, but Spike says no. If Glory finds out, it'd kill Buffy and that would kill him. Buffy gives him a gentle kiss and in the middle of it, Spike realizes something. As Buffy leaves, he calls out after her asking about his robot. Buffy says the robot was gross and obscene and not real, but what you did for me and Don, that was real. I won't forget it. All right, so Noel, yes. here we are at intervention. Here um, we are. Yeah, and so I just want to know, like, what do you think about this episode overall? It strikes me as yet another one of those re-railing kind of episodes. Mm-hmm. Like we've gotten kind of off. Not yes. off course, but we've gotten away from the glory is looking for the key and there's, you know, all of the mm-hmm. big bad shenanigans, hijinks, yes. tomfoolery, yes. nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about this a little bit last week, too, but anytime you have an unusual episode, then there's this process of, all right, we got to kind of get back to mm-hmm. our more standard run of the mill, yes. Buffy the Vampire Slayer you know, world without end, amen kind of situation. So (laughs) here we are. And also here we're not because we're bringing in a bunch of new elements as well. Mm -hmm. Um, It feels a little bit like there's a lot (laughs) going on. And I like a lot of those bits, but it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't form a cohesive episode for me. Mm -hmm. Which is not a criticism so much as a, I I just, I kind of don't know what to do with all of it, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I think it's a fair cop though. Like there is a lot going on. We have Buffy going off into the desert, right? To, to kind of commune with her essential slayerness, right? You know, and that feels. Or (laughs) something. Or something. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, so she's off, like, basically just because we need her out of the house so that the Buffy bot can come in and confuse the hell out of everybody, right? So yes. we're setting that up, and we're and there's a lot of chess pieces being moved around the, the board, you know? So we've got a lot of things kind of happening. We are getting back to our big bad. I mean, we've had a couple of episodes. You know, we had um, I Was Made to Love You, Then It's the Body, Then It's Forever, and now we're back to robots again, right? Yes. So uh, the body and forever were essentially outside of the the narrative of the season of the, the story of the season they took us into a different experience in a different place they are the episodes that in another season might be considered filler episodes but they had such incredible emotional impact and 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 huge huge character impact uh that they are really really super important in a way that like the the filler episodes so that we can you know tell a story in 22 episodes which is ridiculously long you yes, know, for a season of television. Is, That's uh, another yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is episode 18 of mm-hmm. 27 bazillion. It's, <laughs> oh, my God. This, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I love this season. I love season five. It's yeah. so long. <laughs> It's all really long. I mean, and the thing is, is that this is the way television used to work. It used to be 22 episodes a season. Uh, We didn't really do a lot of these highly serialized television shows until probably, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, That was when, you know, VHS tapes came in. You could go back. You could uh, record the season so that you could go back and revisit all of these stories. And once we were able to revisit all of these stories, uh, everything, not everything, but a lot of these these TV shows started to become less anthologized, which is just week to week, we've got a new mystery for Columbo to solve. Um, And more serialized, where we've got these longer stories that are being told all over the place. So we're looking at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which uh, started in 1997, I believe, right? Um, So it starts in in like the spring of 97, um, which is sort of right after this huge transition and when these stories start to get more serialized on television. And at that point, we were it was 22 episodes because 22 episodes was the most financially like the financial sweet spot for all the studios to make enough money back on the TV shows that they were producing. So that's how it was. It was purely economic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that uh, this is the whole history of television. You didn't ask for it, but you get it anyway, because that's Welcome what I Welcome to the history of television podcast. <laughs> there you I mean- go. Oh, no, seriously. I would love that. Um, so then. As we move forward into, uh, you know, more and more cable networks appearing, you know, in the in the early aughts um, to where we get some of these uh, cable networks producing original TV series, but they don't have the kind of budget that can give you a 22 episode season. You're seeing things coming from uh, from, you know, like our our, uh, cable networks like HBO and Showtime and everything, and they're giving 10 to 13 episode seasons as our USA network and TBS, like all of these uh, channels were starting to give these, um, you know, these cable shows, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, all of that kind of stuff, right? We're starting to see them come out with 10 to 13 episodes and discovering at that point, um, because that was the economic model for those smaller, you know, networks, um, that 10 to 13 episodes for a season arc is pretty much the sweet spot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we've got these 22 episode long seasons that now we are going back and watching and they feel so freaking long because we're used to Game (laughs) of Thrones and we're used to Breaking Bad and we're used to this kind of like this new season, you know, structure. We're having uh, television shows that were the traditional 22 episode 
episode, you know, a year uh, type of shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Coming back with half seasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and before that, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was breaking up their season t- storytelling into pods, right? So they'd have like two or three different stories that they were arcing throughout a season. So it was, they were telling stories, complete stories in those little little hops, you know? Uh, Veronica Mars, by the way, season three was one of the first uh, television shows to do that. Um, anyway, all of this history Coming of television from Chipperish Media. <laughs> I deep love dive this into stuff. the economic I'm and structuring so of television. Interested series. in it? Well, yes, I'm well, interested yeah. because it does because it matters story for story. Exactly. It affects the storytelling. So here we have, as we go back now with this mentality where we understand kind of the ideal length of these things, the 22 episode season feels that much longer. And when we get to these filler episodes where it's like, we are not doing anything here. Let's just do something, you know, Um, it feels, I think, even more like, uh, you know, so here we are now we're at the end of season five of Buffy. Um, We get to intervention and suddenly all of this stuff is coming together. Right. You know, Um, we've got uh, we've got Buffy going out into the desert, discovering that death is her gift, which is, you know, going to be a really big thing. And yet not what this episode is about. Right. This episode is about the Buffy bot and spike oh dear (laughs) yes i am so interested to hear your opinions on all of this i mean okay i love the buffy bot Mm -hmm. because i love any opportunity that the show gives sarah michelle geller to play buffy but not buffy so yes faith as buffy like there are moments Mm -hmm. there are moments where i genuinely forget that it is the same actor like no, seriously. she is so good. She's fantastic. She is so good, so good to the point that when Buffy is pretending to be the Buffy bot, you notice because mm-hmm. Buffy is not as good of an actress as Sarah Michelle Keller. No, it's- but that's what Sarah Michelle Geller is bringing to Buffy. We are in a turducken of Buffy. It is it's so freaking so, good. It's so delightful. I know. And, I, love I it. mean, and I just love. I love a robot. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> give me the robots. I love them. <laughs> give me all the robots. Well, just as an opportunity to, you know, yeah. There's mm-hmm. a little bit of like, who's on first? Tom oh, there's Fleury. a little bit of that. Yes, mm-hmm. but. I don't know any opportunity to bring someone in and have the Scoobies respond to them in a way that, you know, like they think this is Buffy. They think something is seriously up with Buffy. What happened in the desert anyway? She is super spaced (laughs) out. And oh, my God, also apparently having sex with Spike. Like, what do we do? And of course, the audience is just like, oh, boy, this is. (laughs) Oh, it's delightful. It's delightful. I mean, first of all, like identity shenanigans are absolutely my fucking game. Like, I love all of this. And I love the things that are happening with the Buffy bot. The programming that went into the Buffy bot, I find really interesting. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, how did she I mean, I guess that that Spike must have told the Buffy bot that Dawn was the key after the Buffy bot was created by Warren because Warren wouldn't know that. So, like, what did Warren program? What right. did Spike tell her? Um, right. It's so Especially because there seems to be, at least maybe subtly implied, the opportunity for Spike to do some on-the-fly programming because... Uh-huh. 
what is it that the Buffy bot says about Angel that he has bloody stupid hair? <laughs> like she says, his hair grows straight up, and he's bloody stupid or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. but what she says is very Spike. Mm-hmm. Like yes. she's oh, not. Exactly. She's yeah. not Buffy in that moment. Mm-hmm. She is Spike having programmed. Like there are a couple of things that the Buffy bot says that I'm like, that was not Warren's original. No, I mean, like, Spike Warren has didn't been input yeah. that, and mm-hmm. the implication there, I mean, is maybe a little troubling if you think about it. But also, like, what, what, what bizarre <laughs> world are we like? It's yeah, it's a delight. I love, I love the Buffy bot. She's no, it's ridiculous so and adorable. It's um, so interesting. Yeah, um, the whole <laughs> Buffy I, bot thing. Yeah. I find fascinating the way that Spike interacts with the Buffy bot. The fact that she is, yes, she is a sex bot, but she's also not a sex bot. She is a love bot. She, her job is to love him, right? Um, And we see the same malfunction happen with her as happened with April and Warren is that Warren just left April behind hoping that her batteries would die, right? You know, Mm -hmm. and April on her own made a decision made an active choice to go find Warren because her programming was to love him and care for him and she can't care for him if he's not there, right? So we have Spike when Xander comes in before the minions come and take Spike. Spike tells the Buffy bot, go downstairs and wait until I come and get you, right? Right. But that's not what happens. Uh, He gets taken and she comes out and goes looking for him, which is counter to the programming, which I find fascinating. Well, it's counter to what he has told her to do, but her programming apparently is to be with him to be with him and take care of him so she has a prime directive yes yeah which is very cute very cute like yeah and also very girlfriendy yeah it's not like you know we haven't had sex in 2.3 hours like it's time to you know go again (laughs) it's like i i started to miss you um and i find it really interesting that a girlfriend bot makes Warren less creepy. I mean, not really. We talked about this with I Was Made to Love You. But the yeah. show believes that she wasn't just for sex is what makes it less creepy that he has this robot. But it somehow makes Spike more creepy. No. Like if he just it wanted does. a Buffy sex bot, that would be, I mean, that would be very Kind of, uh, questionable. Well, right? we've had that discussion. Anybody who wants to go back to that discussion can visit the uh, still pretty episode for I was made to love you because we went in deep on the ethics we of went, the sex. We bot. went in deep to sex robots. Yes, we did. Yes, somewhat we did. intended. Pun um, completely intended. I have no shame. Um, but the thing that I find really interesting, though, about the Buffy bot is that it really is a girlfriend bot. It really is a love bot. And what I found fascinating is Spike goes down on the Buffy bot discuss. Oh, happily. <laughs> what would you like me to discuss? Going down Spike, on robots? I've never done that. Well, but, no. Uh, but that's Spike. Part of what Spike wants from this experience, right? Yeah. Is to I mean, please <laughs> Buffy is to do sexual things that are for Buffy, who is a robot. Well, no, I I love it, but it's complex, right? It's complex. It's complex. It tells us us a lot about Spike's sexuality, 
Yes, um, and Spike's, it tells us a lot about Spike's sexuality and how Spike is using this robot because there's, I mean, there are a number of reasons that that happens. And I think they're all really great. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, I'm guessing I'm guessing we should probably have a little bit of maybe what I should have done a little bit before we had this discussion is like a maturity like warning content warning for people oh, who are please. listening to this in the car with their kids. Yes, go ahead. Oh, please. Do people, I mean, I don't know. My kids watch and listen to questionable things, so maybe I'm, you know, I have nothing oh, I, to yeah, stand but, on you here. Know, but there, like, there are lots of people who who would rather not. Although I think anybody listening to Still Pretty who has been listening to Still Pretty for a while knows not to listen to it with the kids in there. But anyway, go ahead. anyway, <laughs> um, I mean, Conalingus is pleasurable not just for the receiver but for the mm-hmm. giver. Yes. So mm-hmm. there's that. <laughs> there's there's Spike is clearly based on the Buffy Bots programming is clearly using her to experience these fantasies because he is when <laughs> when she's like staking him but not staking him, he mm-hmm. is in it. Like he oh, is yes. in the moment. Oh, he yeah. is this is some like he has clearly thought this through lots of times. Mm-hmm. So it surprises me not at all that mm-hmm. that 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 appears. Um, and I think it's I, I think it's kind of fantastic. Well, the idea that part of the fantasy that Spike has is not just Buffy pleasing him, but that he can please her. Um. I find really interesting. I mean, yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Okay, yes, yes. Oral sex is pleasurable for the giver. Um, That is absolutely true. It is also pleasurable to, you know, be the one that that gives somebody else that special moment, right? You know, Um, and that's great. Can the Buffy bot come? Like, can he bring her to orgasm? Is that part of her programming? Is that because I mean, that's part of the fun of it, right? So if you're gonna have the fun, I would of hope it, so. Like have I would hope, I yeah. would hope so. Just from a, just from a um, fantasy, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I would hope that that was part of the fantasy for Spike. Well, I don't no, know. but would you expect it to be part? I mean, look, I have known men with human souls. And again, reality is no defense for fiction, but you know what I'm saying, right? And, um, yes, and here uh, he yes, is. We, have like, a... we keep talking mm-hmm. about selfish love and about what it is that vampires are able to experience and the ways in which they love and immature love and that it's all about them and what they need. But part of what Spike needs is to please Buffy. And I find that so interesting. <laughs> Oral sex on robots, people. It's a I'm, thing. Get into it. Sure. You know what? But, yes. Whatever. But also, I mean, also, it's interesting shorthand. The way Spike is with the Buffy bot across mm-hmm. the board is interesting shorthand for the way Spike is. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. literally, I mean, this is a toy that he had built for himself. He could do literally anything with it that he wants, but mm-hmm. he's like, he's sweet to it in a weird yeah. way. Like, he's yeah. nice to the robot. Nicer which, to the robot than he was to Harmony. No I kidding. Mean, yeah. Like, he wants not just to be loved, 
but he also wants to love, that the act of loving is essential to who Spike is. And one of the first things that we saw, you know, of William as as a live person, as a human, and Fool for Love, was him being the very spirit of vexation as he tries to write a poem for who? The woman he loves. Uh, there is uh, there's an active part of Spike. The, loving is such an active, you know, experience for Spike that he needs to be loving. That is a big part of who he is. And given the the sense we have that vampires are innately selfish, you know, that, that his love is selfish and immature. I think that everything that happens in this episode, including letting Glory nearly like kill him, before he would give up Dawn, because that yeah. would hurt Buffy. Um, that Spike's love, while definitely dark, you know, um, as we're going to see, you know, the evolution of this, as we started from, you know, way back when we first realized, he first realized that he was in love with Buffy, and this became textual, although I will say, I think it's been textual since season two, um, <laughs> since he watched her on the TV screens, and I think it was Halloween. Um, but uh, but I think that, like, his um, his sense of love and what it means and what it is and how central it is to his identity, right? Um, I think that all of that is part of Spike. And the fact that he would die, I mean, would die, would be killed, tortured and killed before he would do something that would hurt Buffy, I find to be very, like, interesting, not inconsistent with who he is, with what part of William he brought with him into this dark space, you know? Mm -hmm. um, loving Drusilla was his whole thing, you know, in season two. And in season three, we saw him briefly, you know, in Lover's Walk. And again, that was about loving Drusilla, right? He comes back. He's without identity. He's got a chip in his head, right? Season four. Um, he's faltering around. He doesn't know what to do. He falls in love with Buffy, you know, and that I think, or even beginning to acknowledge falling in love with Buffy, although I don't think he realizes it until he wakes up in that cold panic this season, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's so it, delightful. Oh Every time God. we see it on the previously on, I'm like, I oh, yeah. Know, I love it so much. <laughs> I love the whole thing. It's so freaking great, you know. Um, I love all of this. I find it so interesting. And I think that it really complicates this simple idea of what of what love for a vampire may be, what love for somebody who is soulless may be. And again, going back to the soul, I think that we have had anything but complete clarity on the, on the mechanics of souls within the Buffyverse anyway, that it doesn't necessarily make you good because humans are terrible. And it, <laughs> the lack of one doesn't necessarily make you bad because we see d demons, especially going forward over in uh, Angel and then later on, you know, throughout seasons six and seven, where we've got Clem, who is just the most delightful demon ever, right? You know? Yes. Um, and no soul because he's a demon, but but also like just absolutely the sweetest thing. So like the soul as the arbiter of goodness, of course, we have many, many textual, you know, um, uh, textual evidences that go against that. Um, Spike's love is dark. Like we know that it's dark. We know that it's selfish. We know that there are things that he cannot understand. But there's this wonderful moment of breadcrumbing that Buffy gives him at the end when she kisses him. 
and she kisses him on the lips, not on the not on the cheek, mm-hmm. you know, on the lips. She kisses him, and she says that you know the Buffy bot is gross and obscene and not real, but what you did for me and Dawn, that was real. Yeah, and so there is the. Uh, there's uh, uh, there's the real side of love and then the not real side of love. And I feel like more than the, our discussions of selfish and immature love, um, that there is a combination of real and not real love going on for Spike and him allowing Glory to almost kill him was real, Yeah, I think. Yeah, well, because he's choosing to he's he's choosing an action mm-hmm. rather than being consumed by an emotion right and i think that that is part of what helps both distinguish that from the selfishness and also kind of makes the whole thing that much more complex like yes. he is he is capable of doing the right thing and not only because he's got the chip i mean right Allowing himself to be tortured to save Dawn mm-hmm. and save Buffy the pain of losing Dawn has right. nothing to do with his chip. Like, that's not a nothing. that's not a chip, you know, like that's not the chip interfering. Mm-hmm. That is him protecting these people who are important to him. Yeah, that's love. And that's real. You know, and the difference between what is real and what is not real. Um, That is, I think, the essential core of what's going on with Spike is that he is a mixture of real love and then this kind of like dark shadow of love. But love Mm -hmm. for Spike is an active verb, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and he expresses that in a lot of different ways and yet also makes this like Buffy bot. You know, of Buffy, right? <laughs> because she won't give him consent. So he takes what he can get, you know, um, which is also like dark and shadowy and kind of gross, you know. It's kind of twisty. It's more than a little it bit is. twisty. It is. I mean, and it's it's really, but it's so interesting because it's he is this mix. And he, it is this endless mix of real, actual love mixed with this um, sort of corrupted um, shadow love, you know, shadow sense of love, mm-hmm. um, almost almost play of love, right? You know, um, where it is more affectation than reality, you know? Um, and he shifts back and forth. I mean, we see that with him in Fool for Love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he shifts back and forth between this dark shadow love and the real love. He goes to her house to shoot her in the head with a shotgun. <laughs> And then ends up sitting with her and patting her on the back and comforting her and just sitting with her in silence in her pain, not necessarily really trying to make her feel better and tell her it's all going to be okay. He doesn't do that. But what he does is he sits with her in her pain, which is like the hardest freaking thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But he does that. And that is an act of real love. You know, shadow love is the obsession that makes me want to shoot you in the head, right? (laughs) And then real love is the 
the genuine desire that you not be alone in your darkness. Not that I'm going to make you feel better because I can't because everything sucks and it's terrible, but that I will not let you be alone in your darkness, you know, and then he goes and sits with her. And that is a beautiful expression of real love. And that's the explanation that he gives to Buffy when he Mm -hmm. thinks she's the Buffy bot. Yep. When he says, you know, you can't ever, you can't ever tell yeah glory that dawn is the key because we can't lose dawn because it would destroy buffy and i can't see her in that much pain yes um it's yeah it's a lot it's a lot and of course the spike buffy thing just gets more complicated as we go from here because mm-hmm. you know buffy it's a tiny little moment but at the end there buffy really has to grapple with her own feelings about what spike did yeah you know she's going she goes to him as the Buffy bot, I think fully expecting mm-hmm. that he he gave something up. Right. That yes. Glory knows. Maybe Glory doesn't know everything, but Glory mm-hmm. knows something and they are screwed now. Exactly. And then what she gets is he says, no, I, no, yeah. never, never would I reveal and the this information. the beating that he took you know, to protect her and to protect Dawn. Like, this is actually a pivotal moment for Spike and Buffy. Nothing that happens for Spike and Buffy in the future would ever have happened without this moment. This is the, you know, I mean, this is the proof of love moment. Like, I talk about that sometimes in, in various podcasts, that one of the things that I love the most um, are these these moments of proof of love. When a person does something purely for love of another person without the anticipation that they're going to get anything out of it, that it's ever going to benefit them. He did not tell Buffy that he took that beating to protect Dawn. He told the Buffy bot, thinking it was mm-hmm. the Buffy bot. You know, he wasn't looking for credit. He wasn't looking for her to. And even when he says to the Buffy bot, it's not like, yeah, I knew that, you know, if I took this for, you know, Dawn and protected Dawn, that Buffy would be so grateful that maybe she would see me in a different way. That's not it. It's that would destroy Buffy. And I can't live with that. This Um, is the second one of those beats in a row, just episode wise, because we had him mm -hmm. bringing flowers for Joyce and not leaving a note or a card. Yeah, he didn't want. He he wasn't trying to get in with Buffy. He just no, he just was, liked Joyce. He, he just liked Joyce. I like. He just the likes lady. the Summers women. It's I great. Know. It's great. I can't stand Summers women taking it so hard on the chin. This is yeah. three forever. He helps yes. Dawn and says, "Don't tell Buffy. I'm not doing this for Buffy. Buffy That's will kill right. me." So this is three. No, you're ep- right. This episodes. is three. Dang, this is three. But this is the only one that Buffy knows about. Right. right? This is the only one that Buffy knows about. Um, And so all of it is, um, God, it's just, it's so good and it's so interesting. And what I love about this whole thing with Spike and with love and with how it all works is that there is no simple answer to it, that it is complex and layered and multifaceted the way that actual love is. You know, actual love is a very complicated and difficult thing to to wrestle, which is why mm-hmm. so many of us with our souls and everything struggle with <laughs> it, you know, um, but it is it's so interesting and rich and I just absolutely love it. And, you know, I also freaking love Glory and Spike. Like, oh my God. let's talk a little bit about that interaction because <laughs> damn, right? I mean, 
another one of my favorite pairings on this show. <laughs> Two great evil tastes that taste great together. Taste great together. Yes. I mean, Glory and Spike. Glo- Spike has given Glory a little bit of a run for her money in the past. Mm-hmm. But this is, I mean, he really, he really gets to mess with her. Mm-hmm. While she's messing with him, which is just delightful. It is. But it's, I know. But what I love, I love Glory's first impression of Spike. What the hell is that? And why is its hair that color? <laughs> she's so offended. It's so delightful. And she yes. also knows immediately that he's a vampire. Yes. We get this nice little detail that you can't even brain suck a vampire. So, mm-hmm. you know, in case you were going to try. Yeah. Like, new plan there, guys. But. They're so well matched because, of course, she gives no shits. He gives no shits. He is so not impressed by her, God Mm -hmm. or no God. He's, you know, going to hurl all the insults at her. I I love, I love her explaining to the minions that the key has to be pure and vampires are impure. And he says, damn right, I'm impure. I'm as impure as the driven yellow snow. (laughs) Which is, like, that's like a great. Jane Espensonian mm-hmm. spike line. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's not forget how very Espensonian this episode is. It really uh, it's is. so wonderful. I love it. It really is. Mm-hmm. There are some fantastic, fantastic yes. lines that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that's, yeah, Espenson <laughs> for sure. Um, but, you know, as funny as Glory and Spike are mm-hmm. together, it it's also brutal. I mean, she yeah. just digs right into him because mm-hmm. she knows that she can mm-hmm. torture the information out of him. Maybe. I mean, well, she believes she, she thinks can. she can. Yeah. Yeah. And torturing Spike by giving him a drink of water and then smashing the glass against his cheek is just wonderfully awful. Yeah. Um, and Spike, of course, is just he holds his own against glory who is gonna take his skin off and do all Peel manner of things like to him. an apple in one right? strip i mean jesus like i know vampires are hard to kill and everything and so death may not be you know he might survive that and just grow his skin back and be fine but the bottom line is that's gonna hurt yeah yeah he's obviously in all of the pain yeah and still goes through the motions of messing with her about mm-hmm. Bob Barker being the key. <laughs> the minions, the minions yes. are so stoked that uh-huh. the key is Bob Barker from The Price is Right. And <laughs> Jinx, especially with his like, yes. I know this one, like excitement. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. And it's also very Spike because yes. Spike loves television. Spike mm-hmm. loves all television so of yep. course of course when spike is trying to pull one over on glory he's gonna say mm-hmm. oh it's that guy from tv of right. course he chooses someone from television mm-hmm. but i love them i love them trying to out evil each other she's <laughs> threatening him with all this stuff and he is calling her all the names and yes. his plan to mm-hmm. get himself literally kicked out of her room is yes. pretty great. Well, yeah. And then as he's suffering, right, barely able to move from the kick that she gave him that was so strong that it yanked the chains holding him out of the ceiling. Like, that is serious. He's like, yeah, great plan. And then just waddles over to the elevator, 
pulls the doors open, yes. lands on top of a moving elevator, hurling himself the down the elevator shaft. Is... No, seriously. Like, it's yeah. the strength that it takes for him to do that. And then just lies there in the elevator, unable to move while the fight goes on in the lobby of the personal mansion, which is a thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, all of that um, is it's so great. And seeing him stand up to her for that and like be willing to die you know um is just it's so good it's so great and it tells us so much about spike i mean what we learn about characters we learn through the choices that they make and this mm-hmm. was a choice that he didn't struggle with yeah never for a moment yeah mm-hmm. he seems he's he's oddly into it like despite being and i don't mean in a masochistic way like he is he is pleased with his ability to stand up to her yeah and his i don't know what to call it but he's just he's he's never been that impressed with glory which is just funny Mm -hmm. to me there's just something about that that just tickles me and i love it i love the two of them together well it's interesting because she is kind of the shadow side of buffy you know right i mean she's i'm i'm so sick of strong little women who yep. aren't me right you know yep. <laughs> strong little blonde women who aren't me um that she you know she is like the dark side she's got the power she's she's got the the feminine presentation you know the the cute little blonde girl thing going for her and yet she's incredibly powerful she's incredibly strong but she is not buffy um, so the things that he loves about Buffy are not present within Glory, within the shadow presentation of mm-hmm. Buffy, um, which yeah. I really, really like. Um, so, uh, you know, going back to Buffy, right? One of the things I think that that kind of fractures this episode into two things that feel like they don't really go together is her going to the desert to try to figure out where her love is, you know? Um, And I find this whole thing, we have this opening scene with her where she's talking with Giles and she's saying, I'm hard, you know? I'm like, this is making me, um, you know, like hard and resistant. And it was before Joyce died. It was, you know, and then of course she uses Riley. I'm like, no, the reason why you didn't love Riley is because he was Riley, Buffy. (laughs) Like there's a reason, and it is not that the, something is broken. It in takes you. two to fuck up a tango, okay? Like it takes yes. two to like anyway. It takes it anyway. takes one of them being super fucking cardboard to be like that. Is the reason why you don't love him is because he's Riley, you know? <laughs> um, but anyway, so one of the things that I talk about, you know, somewhat frequently, and that we're going to be getting to, I think, even more as we move forward in the series is the erasure of trauma for Buffy, which we don't always do. Uh, you know, we we don't always erase her trauma, but we kind of do when it's something we don't really necessarily want to talk about. Um, so we expect Buffy, I think, because of all of her, like, you know, strength and her superpowers to, like, not be traumatized by the endless daily violence and murder in her life, you know? Um, And because we code these demons as animals and because killing animals is something that, you know, we do as a society so that we can eat them. Right. And she's killing these these 
demons coded as animals so that they don't kill other people as a protective measure. But this is her job. This is what she was born to do. This is what she was called to do. And therefore, there shouldn't be any trauma associated with it. Um, I myself feel like, yeah, there probably would be. Um, you know, in, in that daily, you know, killing that experience of always killing and of always having to keep this distinction on, you know, mm. between mm-hmm. who, who am I completely justified in killing and who am I not? And asking that question, you know, when she thought she had killed Ted. Now, of course, Ted was also a robot. Um, but when she thought that Ted was human and she had killed him. Uh, that was hugely traumatizing for Buffy. When Alan got killed by Faith in season three, mm-hmm. that was hugely traumatizing for Buffy because these were human deaths and human deaths matter, whereas these animal deaths don't. Um, you know, for the demons that are coded as animals and monsters, some of them are coded also as human. So like every vampire that she kills that has a personality, like that's a that's a thing. When she had to kill Angel, vampire she's a vampire slayer he was still a vampire even though he had a soul but that was like hugely massively traumatizing for her um and we give her like an episode to recover from that right (laughs) you know like she's (laughs) killed she's killed in prophecy girl she comes back and when she was bad and like dead man's party uh i'm sorry she comes back in when she was bad and then by the end of that we're okay Right. You know, like she's she dusts the, the master's bones and then everything's done and, and we're fine and she's moving on. Right. Her trauma has been resolved. We at least acknowledge it. Right. Right. Um, at the end of season two with becoming part one and part two, she kills Angel, hugely traumatizing, runs away from, you know, home, dyes her hair, uh, you know, um, lives in Los Angeles, goes through this whole thing, comes back. Right. And we have an episode, an extra episode in Dead Man's Party where we address an Anne and Dead Man's Party, the trauma that she went through. And then we cover it and we take care of it. It's done. And we move forward, you know, into season three. Um so, but we do tend to erase Buffy's trauma around other things, um, especially as it relates to sexual assault, uh, assaulted by um, by Xander in the pack, um, by the loser on the swim team and go fish um and later of course we're going to get an actual like real detailed sexual assault with spike and seeing red at the end of season six we will get to that when we get to that um so that doesn't mean that we don't see any traumatic response from buffy but we don't spend near enough time on it like buffy is expected to recover in one episode from anything that happens to her and then Mm -hmm. we're just moving on so when we get to this spot where she is talking about this numbness this hardness this it's hard to say the word love right that is actually a trauma response that is something that happens to people when they're you know processing a lot of trauma now she's also got the trauma from her mother's death right so we are actually allowing that but she was saying this is from before she's been feeling this for a long time so it feels to me like we are starting to like really acknowledge the fact that what Buffy does on a day-to-day basis is hugely traumatizing and what she's been through you know throughout all the years of these these experiences on top of experiences on top of experiences that would be really really difficult um, are actually taking a psychological toll on her um, and uh, what I find interesting is Tony Soprano gets a fucking therapist but Buffy doesn't 
you know um and that was yeah. concurrent with this like the sopranos i think started 2001 2000 maybe um and that so it's on this on this timeline you know um and the only time we even really address buffy's mental health is in normal again in which mental illness is presented in much the way we see it presented in this season and that is yep. regrettably um so we're going to definitely talk about that when we get there in season six um but i do like you know i i, I talk about the erasure of buffy's trauma and i don't think that we erase all of it but we erase a lot of it and we don't allow a lot of it but here we have this moment um you know where we're allowing her to kind of talk about the things that are happening with her and of course she has to go rather than go to a psychologist or a therapist which is the watchers <laughs> council was doing its job i mean would have a host hmm. of therapists trained in slayers to provide exactly this kind of attention uh but yeah watchers council you know pretty terrible yeah um you know but so now we finally got this a sort of addressing right of that of that trauma we're having her go out into the desert and talk to the first slayer whose job is once again to do emotional labor for a white woman <laughs> well and like all right <laughs> like yeah. All what? right. Mm-hmm. What? Like, I just, I don't know. Are they trying to retcon the the vision of the first slayer? Because she's not, this is not actually the first slayer. This is a vision of a guide of, a, this is another thing we do on this mm-hmm. show is we're like, eh, we just kind of want to address it, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um. So this is not, this is not like, the spirit of the first slayer this is buffy's guide or a guide mm-hmm. coming to her in the form of the first slayer right because we need to retcon the first slayer and make her not the problematic depiction of like primitive warrior womanhood that we had in restless like what but we're still doing that but we have we're her doing animalistically it a- like crawling around the fire we've got all the war paint on her face but she's like she's now she's like the poetic wisdom yeah Yoda. she's the magical like she's other not, right it's still so it's so bizarre and yeah, I get yeah. the like the eeriness of oh, I know this place and I know who you are and all of that. Like, but I just I'm 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 genuinely confused. <laughs> like, I'm I genuinely confused about this I and what we're too. trying to do. And I think um, it would have been so much more interesting. Like, um, one of the things that they do on uh, on Angel a lot is that they have these demons who are extremely up on pop culture who live within the current moment um who talk like humans you know they're just demons but there's this fun little contrast like over on angel we had a character of sajan um Mm -hmm. who was who spoke very colloquially you know had like a modern you know um um sense of humor um we had skip who was also a demon who spoke that way who who interacted in in a way that was very much just like the humans you know but these are both white male if not like textually like coded white male and played by white male um actors um in which we kind of allow that you know but here we have uh the first slayer you know whose own trauma goes unacknowledged you know um and who 
exists in this space simply to come back and guide Buffy um, from this this very like primitive representation. And I'm like, how much fun would it have been if like in the middle of the desert, it just showed up as like a, you know, they just get some coffee and sit and talk. You know? Just a coffee shop. Just a coffee here. shop in the middle of something more modern, something that has that lovely sense of contrast and, and irony that uh, that we so love in the Buffyverse. But yet when we uh, when we deal with the first Slayer, um, it it is it is this really like I think problematic representation um, that honestly is is super uncomfortable. There's I mean there's literal separation between yeah. them too. Like whether or not whether or not this vision of mm-hmm. the first layer has anything to do with the actual first layer. Again, right. I'm totally not clear on like what I'm not clear on what mythology we're trying to weave here like first of all first Mm -hmm. of all the idea that like there's a sacred location in the desert that just happens to be like a quick drive from Sunnydale no big deal like 20 minutes into the mountains yes I'm like exactly okay all right Uh all right but yeah what but there's a there's such a literal separation between them they have put up literal barriers in the form of the fire, the Mm -hmm. darkness, the Mm -hmm. first slayer's hair and makeup. There's like so many layers of separation. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to be like wise and mysterious as opposed to dehumanizing, which I think is, I, I don't know, like it, it comes down on the side of dehumanizing. It's, it's like magical, magical dehumanizing, but yes, yeah, yes, it's yeah. all of that. Um, and we've seen it a lot in a lot of our stories that we see. You know, we we've got these characters who exist to be magical and to inspire our white characters, right? Without right. any acknowledgement of who they are and what they've been through and what the first layer had been through. Now we don't know the entire history yet. We won't know that until season seven, but it's fucking awful. Well, and, and no we matter what, guess. you can guess that it's going to be you know, super like- traumatizing. <laughs> but the, the idea that the source of her power comes from being raped by demon essence, um, you know, is, is, even darker than the darkness that we already see. And we already know that here we have a young woman whose job was to go out and kill things until they killed her. That yeah. that is all there is for that existence. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, but at that same time, now that, you know, we've acknowledged how like really troubling a lot of this imagery is and the way it's presented, um, the message itself, the death is your gift, right? It's, I think it's really pretty- on the nose. It's really on the nose. It's incredibly powerful. Um, the idea that that Buffy, you know, it's not that Buffy can't love; it's that she loves so intensely that it's too hard, you know, um, mm-hmm. and she has to shut it down. I think that that's interesting. That her love brings her to her gift, and death is her gift. And then Buffy's response, you know, which I've got right here, so I'm going to play real quick. Death is your gift. Death is your gift. Okay, no. Death is not a gift. My mother just died, I know this. If I have to kill demons because it makes the world a better place, then I kill demons. But it's not a gift to anybody. Your question has been answered. 
Right? I mean, we oh come back God. with that, you know. Um, and she has to deal. She is knee deep in death every single freaking day. And the idea that this is, again, this is how she feels about death. It is yeah. not a gift. She is angry about it, right? That is a daily conflict for her. That is something that she has to to combat daily. Not to mention the fact that it is super complicated by the fact that you're what? Hungry and horny afterwards. That afterwards she kind of craves a low-fat yeah. yogurt, right? Yeah. Um, that there are parts of it that she enjoys when you're really good at a terrible thing, right? Being good yep. at something feels good. Competence feels good. To know that you're really good at a terrible thing, that is such a crunchy psychological place that every, every day she's traumatized and also somewhat gratified by what she does. Like, oh my God, I love yep. that. We don't do a whole lot with it, but man, I love it. Yeah, we don't do a whole lot with Buffy's inner life in mm -hmm. general, partly because, I mean, it's television and that's harder to do and that's not quite the genre that we're in, but it does feel like these little snippets of Buffy's mental landscape kind of pop up mm -hmm. as we need them. And that that change of tone on death and what she has just experienced with her mother. Mm -hmm. We're not we're not really clear on how long this is after Joyce's death. Are we? It's not it, it's I mean it's fairly not soon, I would guess, within a week or two. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's fairly recent. Giles is still there cooking for them and, you know, helping them with the dishes and, you know, um, being deeply involved, you know, so there's that. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's but it's that that shift is incredible. And we don't you're right. We don't do a lot of exploration into what it means to hold all of these things at once. Right. Like the complication of that, you know, here we are exploring very deeply the complication of Spike's love, right? You know, um, but the complication of Buffy's trauma, of Buffy's competence, of the joy that you get from being good at something, what happens when you're really good at a terrible fucking thing, right? You know, yeah. the exploration of that just isn't there. It's presented like, here it is. It's theirs for the taking, but we don't really do anything with it. We just expect Buffy to get up, throw a quip around, and stab another vampire in the heart with a stake, you know? And that that's just what she does. We just expect her to keep moving on in an almost robotic way, right? Yeah. She was yeah. made to do this. So the the reflection of the Buffy bot on our, like, approach and expectation of the actual Buffy uh, there's something there I don't think it was deliberately put there but there's something there that the robot shows up that the, the robot Buffy shows up in the same episode where actual Buffy is like I am shut down and not human mm -hmm. I'm feeling I'm afraid that my job is making me inhuman and the expectations she was designed to do this thing and she needs to do that thing without complaint without any expectation of of what it does to her any concern for what it does to her that the watchers do not have a trained staff of psychologists on hand to help the the um slayers 
says so much about this expectation, not to mention the fact that slayers are essentially tissues that we run through and deliberately kill at the age of 18 before they can start fighting back and thinking for themselves. Right. Um, They are slayers are women who are essentially treated as disposable. Yep. Like, like <laughs> the a watchers robot. council. Everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that different. The expectations of the Buffy bot to do as she is programmed and then be discarded when she sparks and you know her wires get frayed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is is the expectation that we have of Buffy. And I think that that's an interesting kind of reflection in this episode. Um yeah. You know, so I don't know. I mean, like, I'm I enjoy what they're doing here. But at the same time, I'm like, we and I mean, I love the way you know me why I went on for 30 minutes about how incredibly wonderful Spike's complicated love shit is right. He's going down (laughs) on a robot. What does that mean? Right. And here we have something equally as interesting and complicated in our eponymous star of the show. And we're not spending anywhere near as much time exploring that experience for her as we are exploring Spike's love. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Right? Interesting. Sexism, everybody. That's a fun thing. See how oh. it works for you. Um, <laughs> so another thing I think that is really interesting here is the Buffy bot herself. Um, not not necessarily the Buffy bot, but like the reaction and response to the Buffy bot. Uh, everyone knew instantly that April was a robot. Right. There was no question. Yes. Everybody knew. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Tara, especially. Right. Tara and Tara's responses in this. We keep Tara separate from the Buffy Bob because Tara also knew when Faith was Buffy, having never met Buffy before. Right. Tara knew. Tara is, of course, the one who sees, right? You know, uh, so we deliberately don't have her interact with the Buffy bot until everybody knows that it's a Buffy bot because that would break the world, right? But meanwhile, we have Tara, you know, every now and again, we have her deliver a line that is not a Tara line, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like when they're all talking about, uh, you know, like uh, when you're, when a parent dies, sometimes you do crazy things. I did some crazy things when my mother dies. And then Xander says, oh, she's sleeping with Spike. And then Willow says, yes, we should understand, blah, blah, blah. And Tara says, oh, no, she's nuts. Right? Yeah. She's not a Tara response. No. As we see no. later in season six, when Buffy goes to Tara and says, I've been sleeping with Spike, and Tara's empathy and compassion. Yeah, fully present in that moment. Um, So this is just, you know, this is exactly what a character break is. It is a it is a rubber band moment where a character does something out of character for the purpose of a joke or a plot point and then immediately snaps back into being regular, you know, Tara. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we break Tara for a moment. I mean, we and we could have done we could have done that same line if you wanted the oh, no, she's nuts response Mm -hmm. you could have you could have willow say yeah you know oh she's you know tara could start with you know she's been through a lot Mm -hmm. and willow could you could have a little couple moment where willow looks at tara and maybe reveals when tara's mom died she blah Mm -hmm. blah 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 Mm -hmm. and then you give that line to yeah. you give the oh no she's nuts line to Willow, mm-hmm. um, which is still I mean it's still not a great it's not a great line but but I think it's more believable coming from Willow 
you know, than necessarily than from Tara, who this is not how Tara conducts herself, you know, with people. Um, So I found that a little bit uh, just, you know, mildly interesting. But no one knows that Buffy isn't Buffy. You know, after Buffy knows that Giles isn't Giles in a new man or Giles isn't the demon in a new man. um, Buffy always knows who's who. Right. But nobody knows when it's not Buffy. Nobody knew when it wasn't Buffy is faith except for Tara. Um, You know, and so that's a hard thing for her. It's one of my favorite moments, though, is Buffy calling everyone on. You couldn't tell me apart from a robot. Like She's I'm so mad. Robot. It's great. Yes, exactly. No, I love that, too, where everybody's staring at the two Buffys and they're like, we don't even know. And she goes, it's a robot. It's one of well, Warren's robots. Like, she well, knows Well, what's really kind of cute, what's mm-hmm. kind of cute in the same, like, ooh, I know this one that we get mm-hmm. from Jinx yeah. is Xander going, oh, I know this. They're both Buffy. Because, of course, he was split into both. Xander's yes yes and I love I I love his little moment of oh wait a minute like I'm useful for half a second before I've seen this before no let's go yeah um he's actually got some experience you know he's clocked a lot of field time he's got some experience with this shit um so I find it so so funny um you know and then of course Buffy knows immediately what this is you know that Spike had Warren build a sex bot um but it's also but what I also find interesting about the Buffy bot is that isn't part of what Spike likes about Buffy that Buffy will take none of his shit and despises him and yet here we have this girlfriend bot who's just like oh but Spike I love you and darn your sinister attraction you know Um, I find that really funny that she's she's not a sex bot she is the girlfriend experience right Um, yeah uh, yeah it's it's not fully it's it's not totally fully explored. I think even Spike doesn't know the extent yeah. to his attraction to Buffy and that right. some of it is that she doesn't give him the time of day. That um, she's that she's she will call him on his bullshit all the time, you know, which I yeah. just find really, really interesting. Um this episode also starts us with Dawn's stealing which i yeah is my least favorite of all of this like little side story things that we do throughout the run of buffy dawn stealing and shoplifting which will carry on well into season six um i don't care it that's terrible she just swipes a pair of earrings and we're like okay this yeah. is a big dawn character moment i guess yeah, we're starting something. Here we because go. Because that's what troubled teenage girls do. They steal <laughs> earrings and lipsticks and bras. That's what they do. <laughs> so, whatever. Um, we also get Anya. Anya gets to dust in this episode. Yes. She dusts a vampire, and it was so, so fun. I also love Anya's uh, interaction with the Buffy bot, where <laughs> Buffy says, how is your money? And <laughs> then he goes, fine, thank you for asking. And she is so delighted. Yes. Yes, that is. Oh, it's so good. Anya, Anya so happy that someone finally gets her. Yes. <laughs> and it takes a robot, right? To get lovely. Anya. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's lovely. It's strangely lovely. literal and newly human. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, there's a lot of like, I don't know. There are a lot of little bits and pieces mm-hmm. in this episode that don't really go with anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I talked already about the what are the odds of the sacred place in the desert being right there in Sunnydale? Yes. Um, you know, and we've talked a lot about 
Spike's ability or inability to love. Mm -hmm. And there's a nice little editing nod to that when Mm -hmm. early in the episode when Buffy's on the couch with Dawn and telling her that she loves her and Mm -hmm. Dawn is like, okay, getting weird. And Buffy says, weird love's better than no love. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to Spike and the Buffy bot, which is an interesting little interesting little connection there you know yes yes i don't know right i don't know weird love love. better than no love Mm -hmm. weird love's better than no love and we get more of a look at xander's living room than we have i think ever since he moved in Mm -hmm. and there's this amazing tool storage display board Mm -hmm. on xander's living room wall that is lit like it's a painting yes and i kind of love it no it is i mean this is xander's thing he's a fixer guy right yeah he fixes all the windows that get busted up which i really love it's that little nod toward who is fixing all these windows you know right Um, it's xander it's It's xander and xander building the shelves in the magic box and that and i love the competence that we give xander some competence we were struggling with that a lot you know throughout high school and even in season four it took him a while to kind of find his thing you know um but after the replacement we give him his competence and i really enjoy that you know um yeah he's he's the one who picks up on the weirdness that is buffy you know when they're in the cemetery like she didn't ask about dawn you know why didn't she ask about dawn yeah like he notices that and so these are all the things like these are the this is the xander that i love this is the xander that you know um as as much as we've struggled with xander throughout the run of the series uh we're getting to the xander that i love and i love that little bit of competence from him because this is always really really fun um all right so noelle what are you wearing Oh, my God. Like a thousand coats in the desert. (laughs) I am physically uncomfortable looking Uh at Giles and Buffy in the desert and all those layers. Like, I know the desert gets cold at night, but no, like, stop (laughs) with the coats. It's so, like, it's hard to watch, which is saying something because Giles does the hokey pokey. I would love that. I, yeah, and that's I what hop it's all in about. and out of the circle and shake my gourd. Like, come on, come on. And then Buffy's like, all, "I know this, I know this." And you turn yourself about. It is the dadliest yes, ritual. I know. I it love is, it so much. He's in full on dad mode. Mm-hmm. But oh my god, all the sweaters and the coats and the, no, uh, no. It's mm-hmm. probably deeply significant of some sort of a you know journey like if you're gonna follow a cougar through the desert like i, I just no yeah no but know. no i can't i can't um i mean shout out to the cougar though the cougar oh, did yeah. a great job and yeah. it's a little bit of a bummer that we can see the cougar's trainer in a couple of shots but whatever <laughs> i don't usually call those things out right. i don't usually call out the goofs and bloopers and whatnot but it does it it takes me out of the moment when it's like oh that's a coat and those are feet and those and are that is feet and that is a the, trainer yeah i mean is, yeah. It's, it's part of the problem of the the buffy hd remaster that that originally this aired in four three aspect ratio which cut off the sides and then now we've got it in um an hd uh um I think it's a uh, 1080 um, perspective. So we've got a 16.9 perspective. So we, we're seeing the edges now that we didn't see before and nobody bothered to paint them out. 
Yeah. Nobody yeah. bothered to take the boom mic out. Nobody bothered to. Yes, exactly. The stunt people <laughs> that we see often in some of these. Um, yeah, it happens and it's it's tragic. But anyway, clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Clothing in the desert, which you don't need if you're a mm-hmm. cougar. Um, the Buffy Bot's outfit. Yeah. Is fascinating to me. It doesn't quite go together. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it did in the early aughts. I don't know. But that flowy but also pleated mid-length skirt and the two shades of pink and the black jacket with the sparkly piping or yes. is it the zipper? No, that's like it, definitely bedazzled. It, it is bedazzled seems at, the, a little at the zipper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Off. It yeah. seems a little bit off, which I think is the point. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that they really nailed it with the her whole physical appearance mm-hmm. is very like buffy but not buffy it's just because it doesn't off. look yeah it doesn't look like something buffy would wear it's vampire it, slayer barbie is what it is oh my god mm-hmm. it, it absolutely is it yes. is yes it is the the buffy dream house version of buffy. but i love that she can slay a vamp i love that yes. she goes out on patrol i love that she can kill these vampires i mean that's awesome like why not have a bot that can help you patrol and you know and kill the vampires without getting in yeah i love it and once again brings us into the question of her programming and mm-hmm. what yeah like what all what all is she able to do well we we saw that april was incredibly strong I'm tired yeah. of super strong little women who aren't me, right? I love exactly. that one. Um, but yeah, like I think that there is uh, there's an absolute use for a Buffy bot. Like when Willow's working on the Buffy bot and finds the wires and is like, oh, this is so interesting. I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a Buffy bot that can go out and kill vampires and not get killed, like, why not? Why not have yeah. a mechanical slayer? I mean, Jesus, right? I mean, we should have come up with this a long time ago. It's Watchers not Council. the worst idea. Yeah, somebody should have put Except Warren Mears to actual good use. that we really just want to subjugate women, so. I know. If they have <laughs> robots, then subjugating the women doesn't get to be as much fun. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. Yep. Takes all the fun out of the patriarchy. All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part? <laughs> Sorry, I love you saying taking all the fun out of the patriarchy. <laughs> oh my god, good you guys. Uh, you ruined uh, everything. The patriarchy's not fun anymore. I know. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh, my favorite part. My favorite part yes. is, I think it's Anya's delight when. Mm-hmm. The Buffy bot asks, how's your money? Aww. She says, fine. Thank you for asking. Like, it's such a it's such a goofy little moment, but she's so genuinely thrilled. Mm-hmm. And I just I just like seeing Anya happy, I think. Is no, the it answer. is. It's really nice. It's nice to see Anya connected and not um, dismissed and put down by everybody. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see her appreciated. Um, and the fact is that her money is important to her and we have established that. So somebody saying, hey, Anya, how is your money? Is just a nice and friendly thing to do. Yeah. Why can't they just be friendly to sweet, just sweet a, Anya? Just a little connection for Anya. That's a really all Anya connection. wants. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> just ask her about her money every now and again. I think it's really sweet. There you sweet. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Lonnie, what's your favorite part? Uh, mine is, of course, the end when Buffy pretends to be the Buffy bot and Spike tells her and she kisses him 
and says, this is real. She tells him what is real, you know? And I just, I love that moment between them. I love that it acknowledges that Spike is not the only one having feelings here, you know? Yep. Um, that, That Buffy is feeling something for spike at that moment. And, um, and I absolutely, I just, I love it. I think it's wonderful. I think it's complex and interesting. And I love that she gives him that breadcrumb to start, you know, this is real. What you did for me and Dawn, that was real, you know? Um, I love it. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, connect with the show on Twitter. Follow at Chipperish and use the hashtag #StillPretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers. Support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our July producers: Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelley. And this week's special message for our Power Producers. Darn your sinister attraction. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or let your love lead you to your gift. Which probably isn't death. Don't worry about that. (laughs) We will be back next time with Tough Love, the 19th episode of season five. Until then, say, look at you. You look just like me. We're very pretty. We're very pretty.